0: Love Talk Radio I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind Here once again I'm locked, I'm locked up Sunday. in memories They all intertwine The memories in my mind I know tomorrow could that dawn will come
1: Good evening, good evening, good evening, everyone. This is your host, Dr. Nancy, on tonight. Uh, We are on scan number 3313. And uh, I believe our special co-host tonight is uh, Mr. Hank. Uh, looking forward to having us join us tonight. Uh, I'd like to just start by uh, focusing on what NASA stands for. And NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Nancy, and I'm with uh, Mr. Hank tonight, it looks like. Uh, We're on scan number 3313, and if you'd like to be a part of our panel tonight, please feel free to give us a call at 646-595-2118. Again, that number is 646-595-2118. And you know, here at NASCA, we have a single purpose, uh, and so I'm going to start reading that mission statement. We have a single purpose at NASCA, issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violence or physical, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. And number two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to the adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, we're on scan number 3313. um, And let me see here. Five nine five two one one eight. I already see that we have a caller here who's joining me. Hi, this is Philip. Hello. Hi, Philip. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Okay, good. All right. So I just had a chance to uh refresh my screen. Um, and I believe that our special co-host is um, Hank McGrath, um, Rev. Henry. So hopefully uh, he'll be joining us tonight. Um, and Hank began his life in a poor Irish family with four siblings in New York. Both parents were alcoholics. At age 11, he was hustling to survive in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with bookies and prostitutes, child alone. Eventually, he served time in the juvenile detention system and as a young adult in prison for crimes he'd committed. After decades of hard living and a few near-death situations, he began facing his childhood trauma and, by the 90s, was happily married. When his beloved wife died from cancer in 2001, Hank promised her to fight for others on the issues of child abuse. Since then, he has worked with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children as a court advocate for the youth and more. Today, Hank is a minister and is very active in his community. On these episodes, we welcome various co host survivor professionals, who assist them feeling fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by our call-in participants. Their trauma-informed perspectives as survivor professionals will help them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse trauma and healthy human sexuality that springs from questions and topics brought to us by our listeners. Everyone's invited to engage on tonight's show. So, um, again, the mic's open. Um, Phillip, how you been? Uh, Hi, for so you, one Dr. Of our you've been good. Okay. I know you've been, um, you know, you joined us last night and we were talking about uh, holiday blues and mental health and, you know, just kind of how people are dealing with their recovery process in regards to, you know, dealing with the holidays and dealing with people um, and still having to overcome. So we'll we're, we're just, you know, keep talking about co-host Hank gets a chance to join us. And I hope that he's okay. I hope everything's okay. Um, That's the first thing that uh, I'll put out there. Hope he's okay. Um, So did you enjoy yesterday's show, Phillip? Yes. Okay. Anything, uh, did anything stand out to you or, um, you know, I don't know. Did anything stick out to you from yesterday's show? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Did anything right, well, stick out to you? Well, for me, um, again, I think sometimes during the holidays it's normal to get a little bit of anxiety. So, you know, I, obviously I was able to relate with the fact that I do get a little bit of anxiety sometimes during the holidays. Whether it's, you know, uh, who's going to make it, who's, who's, uh, going to make it to, to, if it's going to be at my house or other people's house, uh, what, what's going to be the situation, uh, what's going to happen. But to be honest with you, this season, uh, this holiday season, I've had a lot of peace. And, and I think a lot of my peace came from and something that stuck out yesterday is. You're not in control of other people. You're only in control of yourself. And so, you know, you getting stressed out or worried about who's going to be there, who's not going to be there, who doesn't like you, who likes you, who got an issue, who doesn't have an issue, it only creates more stress for yourself. And it's not like, you know, it's not healthy, it's not helpful, uh, it's not productive. So that's that's kind of where I've... um Put my mind that I'm not going to be stressed out this season, not going to be stressed out this holiday season. I'm going to have a good time because I'm seeing another day. And so I choose to focus on, well, I cannot control that I'm seeing another day. So that's not something that I'm in control of, right? That's only something that my father, God, for me, I feel is in control of uh, for my life, but to be able to see another day, and have movement of my limbs, I choose to focus on positivity. Um, And that's something that in one of my homeworks we were talking about today, uh, the power of positive thinking and words of affirmation and, um, and just try to, like, think positive, you know, which can sometimes be a little hard to do if you're dealing with anxiety. Really, anxiety comes from, you know, things that have not actually happened, but we worry not only that does that bring anxiety, but that can bring some anxiety when you're not sure what's going to happen, when you don't feel in control of your environment. Um, that can be very stressful. So I don't know if you were able to relate with any of the topics yesterday. Yes, I was, Dr. Nancy. A lot of them for youth. Yeah. yeah. I was able to. And I think like I said, um, you know, for me again, I just made the choice that I'm not in control of nobody else. I'm only in control of myself and um that brought me a lot of peace. To uh to know that guess what? If I let someone mess up my day is because I let them. I gave them that power to mess up my day. If I let someone mess up my peace, I gave them that power to mess up my peace. So, taking back my power and saying I'm gonna have a good season. I'm gonna have a good time, and I'm not gonna let anyone mess up my peace. I think that that's what that's what matters.
0: How did it take you to arrive at that point in life?
1: How did I arrive to that place? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for for interviewing me. I I love it. <laughs> well, I arrived to that place because I got to a place where I was tired of, of hurting, right? Um, and a lot of the hurting was from people who I gave access to my heart or access to hurting. And I got tired of, healing um like giving people the power to hurt me because i gave them that key. so i said you know through uh, my own uh, counseling my own therapy my own work you know what they have con- they have this power because i've given them this control but you know what um they don't have this power and they don't have this control So moving forward, I'm going to take back my power, and I'm going to be the one to create my own peace and my own uh, inner, inner peace and my own inner joy because I cannot control other people. And that makes me happy. So, like, focusing on surrounding myself with people who appreciate me, surrounding myself with people who are kind, it makes me feel good. So um volunteering which is something that I really do enjoy doing I've taken a little bit of a break from doing it at the level I was doing it because I'm I'm in school full time again um and it's been it's been heavy it's been a lot I'm a, I'm I'm full time in school still working and then I have you know children in school I have um, my youngest in school and then I have two in um in like college program so you know, and then, you know, I still, I'm, I still have a husband. I still have a household, you know, that I run sometimes in between sharing the time with, uh, with the family. So I had to just say, well, you know what? Let me just kind of create a balance because sometimes what I did was overfill my schedule to, to not really have that time to like feel, um, things maybe that I was not happy with, I would overfill my schedule with things that I was happy with. So surround myself in environments, like I said, if I'm volunteering, that makes me feel good. If I'm helping out uh, a, a kid, that makes me feel good. But then, like I said, when I started to say, okay, I'm back in school, my schedule's, you know, pretty busy, and I started to feel burned out, then learning to just say, well, right now I can't, um, and I have to scale back in this area because I am very busy. Uh, so just having a balance and and still communicating your your feelings or communicating your needs, I think that's very important. Um, and it just comes with time, you know, and, and with with the choice to say, I'm going to prioritize myself too, because if you don't prioritize yourself as well, how are you going to help all these people that you want to help, right? You want to help the community. You want to help um, serve other people. Sometimes, um, you know, a lot of us who volunteer with NASA will just speak to people that are going through stuff, you know, randomly. Um, I do that sometimes, but I also, I have a counseling. Um, I do counseling. Um, so I have clients. So I have, sometimes I get tired of talking. To be honest with you, because I do that for work um and when I say I get tired of talking, I mean you know counseling sometimes counseling means you listen, but then i have I also do life coaching, so I have some clients they're looking for solutions, and they're looking for me to help them put a plan together, you know, and so um and so they they are soliciting my advice. I'm not just telling them what to do, but they're actually like, so what? So what should I do? Well, what's your thought? And that's that's uh, you know some of the things that I do to help people, but I enjoy doing it. But so when I'm volunteering, um, you know, it's something that I do enjoy. But sometimes, like I said, I had school full time as well. Um, and so when I started back my classes for the semester. I said, okay, I I was doing a lot of community service out in the community because I had the time before school started, and so I did it, and I enjoyed it, but then I felt like I was getting a little burned out. I was, like, going here, going there. I was, like, doing community work out in the field, out in the community with still trying to do my work and still being a parent and everything else. So, anyways, just learning (laughs) to answer your question. I know I probably answered that a long time ago, but went back around in a circle really just learning to have to to have a balance and listen to your body you know if you're doing something and you're passionate about it and you're enjoying it and it's and you're you're um you have joy doing it and you're happy to do it then do it by all means do it okay but um if you're working and um and me i set goals so sometimes i'll say hey i'm gonna i'm gonna volunteer real hardcore through the summer, for example. I was like very busy volunteering. But then when school started I was like, okay, I'm gonna focus on school and, you know, work and still making sure I keep an eye on my youngest who's still who's in the tenth grade. So I still have to like check those report cards, those progress reports. You know, if anything if he missed the bus, I still have I still you know, I still have have other things going on. So it's okay to say, I'm not available. I can't do it this time. I love helping. I love volunteering. But just setting a healthy boundary so that you don't lose that passion behind what you do. Uh and then this evening I had a conversation with um with a young lady. I wonder if I could message her if when she gets free to join. Let me see. Uh, I'll send her a message just in case yeah. had a really good conversation. I'm saying, yes, you're free when you can, and then I'll send the number all right, just in case she chimes in um but we're talking about you know no understanding your assignment, and when you're on assignment, so um the assignment that we have uh, is when we talk about child sexual abuse and surviving. Um, and that's a heavy assignment because when you have a presence on social media or you have a, a presence, like if you Google me, I come up, right? So um, if you have, when you have a presence, a lot of times, um, people tend to overstep their boundaries sometimes with comments Um but when you have, when you're walking in your purpose and you're like, okay, well, you know, the cross that that God gave me to carry is heavy. When we're talking in the area of child abuse, or for me particularly, it'll be child sexual abuse. Um, it sometimes comes with shame. Sometimes comes with shame. Um, sometimes it could come with judgment. Sometimes it could come with very difficult conversations. Um and really learning how to um, not allow people to victim shame can be very difficult, especially when you're first starting to come out and tell your story, and then people start to overstep their boundaries, make comments on social media, or, you know, because when you look at the comments, if you see videos of people, a lot of times, I don't know, uh, Philip, have you ever took the time to, like, read the comments? For comments. Are you on social media sometimes and watch videos? Yes. Okay. And sometimes when you see some of the comments, have you seen like cyberbullying going on, or people just make these mean comments?
0: Yeah, I've just seen a couple mean comments before, like an insult or whatever.
1: Yeah. So for people who are like starting to share their story, and then they see those things, you know, because a lot of times when you're starting to share your story, sometimes you'll be surrounded by people who support you and encourage your growth. They they're not jealous of you. They everybody's in their own lane, right? Um, and so we just focus on saying, "Wow, we we understand," and I'm talking about people with maturity, okay, and wisdom. We understand that it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of bravery for someone to get on a platform and share their story. It takes a lot. Um, and so when someone does do that, when someone's courageous mm-hmm. enough and says, Hey, I'm gonna share my story um, it again takes sometimes it can be very scary, like I said, you know, when I first started sharing my story, I wasn't known for my story. I was known in the industry as a celebrity hairstylist and a lot of other things, you know, um, in the industry. So I wasn't known for counseling, advocacy work. I wasn't known for those things in Boston. I was known for something else. In Georgia, I'm known for those things. So in Georgia, I have a different world. And in Boston, I have a different world. And I go to Boston once a month for work. So, um, taking the, the step to share my testimony, it was very scary. It was very scary because I had to have a level of vulnerability. Okay. I couldn't hide behind the facade of, I made it in the realm, in the beauty industry and I'm strong. And, you know, I had to, I had to take off that strong mask and I had to Undress myself and show my wounds And that was very traumatic It was really hard because um, I didn't want to be known For my victim for, for for being a victim right? I didn't want to be known for what I went Through as far as abuse I didn't want to be known as that I wanted to just die With you know without shame Because people Shame many some people I won't say all people I don't want it To come off like that but some people really shame victims for taking the step to speak up, and that's why a lot of victims don't speak up.
0: Oh, okay. they see. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, some people will die with their secrets. You know, they're not they're not ready to share because they're scared of the attacks that will come with it. Sometimes there are attacks that come with it. And so when people take the stance that they're going to share their testimony and that they're going to um, open up to the world or open up to others, for me, opening up was not about anything more than to help save lives, okay? Um, you know, I shared I'm a suicide survivor and I lost my sister to suicide, Um and so for me, my publicity, I didn't need it in the area of mental health because I I did just fine and had I had a, a good time in the beauty industry. So um, I didn't need to tell my story for attention. It was more or less uh, being able to show up for the child, for myself, because back in the days I wasn't able to show up for myself. I was scared to show up for myself. But then this time, I was able to show up for myself. I was able to show up for little Nancy. And I didn't have to worry about what anybody thought about it. And I didn't care what anybody thought about it because I knew that showing up for little Nancy was also showing up for a lot of other little Nancys who didn't get a chance to tell their story and or were not even here anymore. Because of the levels of abuse that they endured, um, and the levels of shame that they were they went through after telling someone their story, um, and and again family members, um, and you ask your family members not to tell anybody else, and then they do, and then now you you you're walking around with shame. Why? Why do we? Why do we feel shame? When we didn't do anything wrong.
0: Or oh, you're asking me that.
1: Mhm. Um, well let me think about it. Um maybe we feel guilty for not standing up for ourselves, even though we couldn't stand up for ourselves because our assailants were stronger than us. Wow. I think so. Feeling guilty for not being able to stand up for herself. Yes. Right. And that, that can be very difficult because it's like, you know, why didn't I stand up for myself or why didn't I say something? And I think it's even harder when we don't say something and then somebody else gets abused whether it's verbally, physically, emotionally, sexually, but we had the keys and the ability to help stop it.
0: It Um, How old were you? Wait, sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I said it. it, I was just saying it puts a lot of stress on us when we feel like we could have helped somebody else, but we didn't tell. But what are you going to say? How old were you when you shared your story and you and you stopped, like, not not sharing your – you stopped, like, not
0: opening up to people about your abuse. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I – if I understood the question right, you're asking how old was I when I first told, like, a family member, like, parent or something?
0: Anybody. When you or, first told anybody. Or
1: when I got great or when I got older. So when I first told, I was five years old, and I told my mom, Okay. Um, that my father had sexually abused me, like he touched me. Um, And so I had to, you know, I was so embarrassed because he, he promised me to keep our little secret. And I felt like I betrayed him by telling my mom. So I begged my mom before I told her not to tell nobody because I was groomed already. Not to tell, and I was groomed already on the importance of keeping a little secret right uh and so and then I loved my dad, you know, I respected him, so definitely, if he told me to keep a secret, I didn't want the secret to get out the out the bag, but um what happened as soon as I told my mom, she was in shock she she didn't expect that to come out of my mouth. She didn't know what to do. Uh, And so that's why it's important to talk about these shows um, and do these shows because we're able to educate um, families. Like, you know, what do you do if your child tells you that, you know, that they were abused? Or if a child reaches out for help, sexual abuse, how do we address that? How do we help them? Okay, the first thing I would say is try to stay calm. To stay calm because if your reaction is loud and irate, the child might scale back, or the child might lie and cover up because they're feeling your energy. Right, kids who have been through abuse, whether it's verbal, physical, sexual abuse, a lot of times they're very sensitive, hypersensitive. They can feel energies because they've had to. They've felt, you know, the, the anxiety. The person's coming around. You feel energies, and so you pick up energies. Um, and so now, how do you? How should you? My suggestion. My suggestion. You, you know. But I would um, stay calm. Try not to get loud and start screaming, and get all nervous, and make the child nervous, or make the child not feel. And Secure the child that they're, that they're able to tell you They it's a safe space that they can tell you Um, and try to gain their trust so that they can tell you, you can get as much from the story. Um, But definitely is something that I think, you know, parents need to be in a safe space and be able to talk and ask questions and, If they're dealing with it, where do they go? Because let's say that a parent just got the news yesterday or or tonight from their child at the table, like I did with my mom at the table. How do you, how do you, who do you talk to? It's an it's an initial shock that you would not expect to get. So who who do you speak with? Who who do you reach out to? But yeah. Did I answer that question? Yes. Okay. you have any other um,
0: questions? So you do
1: hairdressing and you do counseling? Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. I, I do. So do counseling, So I do counseling in the Kula, Georgia. That's where my office is. And... Uh, virtually, too. I do virtual sessions and uh, also, um, yeah, virtual sessions, to be honest with you. I, I really like the virtual sessions. It's a lot easier for me. I don't have to drive anywhere. <laughs> but I do virtual sessions and then also in person.
0: Cool.
1: Um, what kind of counseling do you do? So I do a lot of different Types of counseling, uh, pretty much I do who are married and they're going through marital conflicts and they need, like, you know, mediation, support through their challenges. I deal with parents who have at-risk youth who are probably, you know, uh, like, you know, could be a lady called me about her daughter uh, going through, you know, just acting up, having a hard time communicating. I have... Um, young kids who have, you know, lost a parent and are maneuvering through life. And so, like, a loved one reaches out for support. I have clients that are, like, you know, they're Christian, they want Christian counseling, um, or some that that don't want any type of, like, you know, Christian counseling, but they may be dealing with, like, addiction, um, not being understood, not being supported. Uh, Some people are dealing with depression, some people are dealing with survivor's guilt because they've lost a loved one to suicide. Um, let see. I have clients who have had um, uh, surgery for eating disorders, stuff like that. So what's that, VSC, um, which I had in the past. Um, so, you know, like I help clients. They're kind of maneuvering through that. Um so sometimes you can go through hair loss, or a lot of different things while you're dealing with that. Uh, and then you're still dealing with like, you know, uh, trying to accept your body as it's changing. Um, I have um, people that are dealing with anxiety, people that are dealing with depression, people that are um, dealing with anger management, trying to figure out how to balance their management, people that are trying to, uh, figure out their purpose. So those sessions are always fun. Um, accountability, coaching, um, you know, checking in, making sure. So like I have clients who, uh, also I deal with like corporations. Um, I go in sometimes and speak to their staff about mental health, uh, and about, um, mental health, talk to them about, uh uh diversity and inclusion that's a real big one that I've been doing a lot of work around to educate employees so that they can have thriving businesses as there's people of all ethnicities and nationalities uh you know in uh in the world uh and just make allow help people be more culturally aware. I think that's something that we lack a lot of, and so that's something that I actually do enjoy um teaching. Um and I do that with corporations, and also uh i'll I'll get ready to stop there, but I also do training for corporations who uh like one of the businesses that I went in and trained their staff and they had like over a hundred staff members, they lost someone to suicide, so one of the employees, so then they wanted me to come in and kind of you know give them some of the words that they could use and some of the things that um they shouldn't use and all of that, but uh, yeah, so pretty much uh, those are all the things that I enjoy, and so I try to stay in my lane, but um, I think, again, you know, as you're recovering from abuse, it's okay to, it's important to find, like, your passion, something that you're passionate about, and that you're, um, you know, that you have a purpose uh, around uh, that makes you feel good and makes you feel happy. Uh, and so for me, when I started um, continuing to serve people in the mental health field, it was something that made me feel good. Like we are talking about volunteering, you know, things that make you feel good, um, things that help you uh, as you're coming forward and telling your story and trying to get away from that shame of your past. Um. And so for me, everything that I do, is an alignment, and it's, it's really just walking in my purpose. So I'm in a good place. I feel good about where I am as far as um, the direction that I'm heading. The how, how I got there was not an easy process, right? But getting there, I'm enjoying the journey, even though sometimes it's a little difficult. But I, I'm enjoying the journey. I try to enjoy the journey as much as I can. Yeah. All right. So we have uh, someone else that joined us. So I just want to open up the mic. Hello, caller. Who's on the line? This is Carol Kohler. <laughs>
2: Hi, Miss uh, VP. This is our vice president. <laughs> of- Here. Here, go ahead. I'm, te- I'm, laughing. Yeah. I'm teasing you. Go ahead.
1: Uh, it's good. And it's always a pleasure to... Um, have you i know we were supposed to have hank so we we're just here kind of topping it up with mr Phillips. he was uh keeping me company thank you for joining us oh, you're
2: welcome you. hi yeah there, there seems to be some confusion or something going on with uh, him being on or not being on hank i don't know what happened so um yeah. okay. i just walked in so i checked my phone sometimes i don't take it with me <laughs> I forgot to take it. I do that at times, but I came in. I, I saw something from Bill, so I thought I'd give you a call because you're alone with Philip. And um, I was listening to what you said. See, you you do a lot of the things that I used to do with the uh, the uh-huh. psych part, yeah. And um, it's important. It's important work. Okay. A lot of people who, you know, have jobs many times have mental issues. They just simply do. They're too stressed at home. And if they're, um, I was listening to what you said. So, and then then also, too, if they're stressed at home, say it's not a good marriage. And so often we survivors we don't marry too well. Um, I went through two, okay. (laughs) So um, I always had a lot of stress. And uh, there was a lot of people at work that were filled with stress, so I started having little workshops at work. Now, mind you, this is not a methadone clinic, <laughs> okay, because I was a counselor there. So,
0: mm-hmm.
2: so I started to do that, and um, because there were a lot of unhappy counselors, so often we're drawn <laughs> to this type of work. I've noticed that over the years, Okay. So working as we're doing now, you know, we do, of course, this is volunteer, but it's still work. And um, and then years ago, of course, um, when I was actively working, um, I worked from the 70s to the 90s, and then I said I had enough, okay, of social services, because I saw things I didn't like. You know, a lot of times they make mistakes, okay, and and, and kids suffer because of those mistakes, all right? and I didn't like it. So then I became a landlady. Oh boy. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. I learned more about people. Yes, I did. But anyway, um uh yeah, suicide uh, is up, okay, heavily. And it's 3.5. Yeah. Uh what do I have here? 3.5 times more uh females that are committing suicide right now. On average there are 132 suicides suicides per day with the males yeah. and with the women it, it's more than that now that's just 2022 so um, it's something clinical depression is up to and, and I suffered from that uh, many years that's ago and, and it's something that uh, is it, not fun and it before I worked in a lot of the places I worked in but I was going through clinical depression And what happens is when you have repetitive type of bad behavior towards you, we'll put it that way, okay? um, Mm -hmm. You can go from regular depression into, and regular depression's bad enough, but you can become clinically then depressed, especially when um, the abuse starts when you're a kid and it just doesn't seem to stop.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. So I decided that I would have workshops. I had counselors running around me that um, were just as unhappy as I was because my marriage, my second marriage failed too. But um, he was into drugs himself, okay? He he started doing drugs, and that pulled the marriage down. He i i him working at a methadone clinic, and he starts to do drugs. You know, I felt like such a jerk. I don't know why I felt like a jerk, but I just did. But anyway... So um, it brought the marriage down, plus he drank too much. So it was a combination of the two. And so when you start um, talking to your, you know, your colleagues about things like this, because I was really open, okay, um, about, you know, my life as a child and and what kids go through, and and then somehow we can't break the cycle, See, Philip, that's something that we have a problem with. We can't break this cycle. Um, You think you're with a good guy, or it could be somebody who thinks they are with a good girl, you know, that's good for them. And when we go through terrible abuse, um, we need to be fixed too. We just simply do. Because the mind, um, and as it turns out, both of my husbands had gone through abuse. Not as bad, but, you know, one time is too many, right? One time is too many. Mm -hmm. So um, with my first husband, I'm not going to say where he lived, but um, he's dead. I don't know. (laughs) I divorced him, but I still don't feel like saying where he lived. But he was near woods, and there was a farm nearby. And uh, this guy was out on horseback, and my husband was playing, and he was only 11 years old. I didn't know this when I married him. Okay, um, he was playing in in the woods, and this guy got off of the horse, and he raped him. Just like that. Uh, now, in those days, what did what did they do about stuff like that? Nothing. Okay, they. If you went to the cops, I don't know anything that was done or they wouldn't go to the police. Everything was too, they were too ashamed. Okay, they didn't want people to find out that their son had been raped. I think that's what happened in his case. And um, so he had to live with that horror. Um, Needless to say, he never went out in those woods again. And I didn't find that out until he was about 64 and he had passed away because he'd done so much strengthening that he ruined his body. I mean, he didn't live to be very old. 64 is not that old, okay? So, you guys might think it is, but <laughs> I don't, okay? Well, whatever. So, um, it, it's not an old age, and um, that's what happens. Many times we ruin our bodies with alcohol and drugs trying to get rid of that. Maybe he went through terrible shame, I don't know. Um, can't tell you. What's this? Um, Can't, uh, you know, can't tell you, you know, um, about what happens in in people's brains. I just know what happened in my brain. Um, Do you by any chance have a topic because I'm I'm being asked that? What were you guys
1: talking about? I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, Yeah, well, no, we were talking a little bit about victims, how they go through shame, but what you're talking about was fine. I, um, we were talking about how victims go through shame, the power of, you know, them sharing their story and, you know, things like that. And, um, and then Philip started, you know, helping and asking some wonderful questions. I was looking at the wrong schedule. Just forgive me. I was just giving them an update.
2: Oh, uh, that, that's okay. It's all right, honey. Look, we're on the radio. It's okay. We're talking about abuse. We could we could have as as a topic. Now I'm not in my office. I had gone to another doctor today because my surgery is coming up. Okay, Um, and I had things that I had to do. So uh, when I came back in, I went to my office, and that's where my topics are. And I don't have them with me. And right now I'm on my Chase Lounge in my living room. I don't feel like moving. (laughs) Okay, my foot Um. doesn't feel too good. I I went through, um, you know, they had to examine me and everything All right, so what I'm thinking about is Since you started this topic, you know, um, about um, abuse uh, I think we should talk about how it really affects us, all right How abuse affects us as we're growing up And how we can't, you know, choose right You know, as we go into our relationships I mean, that's a topic right there no, I think you're mm-hmm. happily married, aren't you? Yes, I'm married. Yes. Hey, he gets my
1: nerves sometimes, but I love him. I love my husband. <laughs> yes,
2: yes. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, once in a while we get someone who is. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> once in a while we do, and, and I'm so yeah, happy I'm we'll divorced. have a guest. Oh, you're divorced. Yeah, I divorced. Oh, oh. So,
1: so I'm. Yes. Ha- I'm. This is my second marriage, right? Uh, but I okay. went through a divorce, so I understand, you know, the the challenges. And, and even with a new marriage, you know, there's always challenges. And I think that when you've been through abuse, sometimes um, some of the, you know, your tolerance level to certain things, depending mm-hmm. on where you are in your recovery, sometimes when you work really hard, your tolerance level to certain things is a little lower. So, I mean, it's still... You know, it's a it's a process I believe for for survivors. Any in any part of their relationships where they may be. Because you go through different growing pains.
2: You know what's hard, yeah, that's true. You know what's hard, which I found out with um when I was working as a counselor. I worked in Detox as a counselor, that was in Perth Amboy, New Jersey. And um right across the river was Staten Island from where I, I used to live there, okay. And um, and in New Jersey, went back and forth from New York to New Jersey, New York they couldn't make up their minds. Okay, <laughs> so anyway, um, I ended up in New Jersey, staying in New Jersey, and I worked in detox. And a lot of those people that came in, you see, they had the same problems that we do. Mm-hmm. It's all yeah. about dysfunctionality. Okay, mm-hmm. everyone's dysfunctional. You know, when you are in a relationship. And and somehow we're blind to the fact that that person um, isn't meant for you because we've been put down so much as a child when we're growing up, okay, um, that if they come out with sarcasm. I used to have one of my Fab Five girls because I was in a band and um, stuff like that in New York. But anyway, she said to me, Carol, don't you see how he's talking to you? Mm -hmm. I didn't see it. And I was madly in love. <laughs> okay. So, you know, he had a, he had two bikes. Oh, wow, I'm in heaven. He had a Cadillac. So if we went into into the inner city, you know, and went out to dinner and everything, we could go looking good, you know. And, and in those days, you didn't wear dungarees and stuff like what they wear today, jeans and all that other stuff. You didn't wear that. The women had to get all dressed up. And... Um, that's why I have a bad foot, honey. Okay, from pointy mm. shoes, which are coming back. Okay, <laughs> stay away from them. But anyway, yeah. so in the in the city, you know, you get all dressed up back then, and um, but I, I didn't see any of I didn't see any of the bad parts of him. He would open the car door for me. He would open, as you go into a restaurant He would open up, you know Because he used to take me to French and Italian restaurants And stuff like that He would open up the door for me and He would pull the chair out for me Okay oh. I thought I died and went to heaven oh, All right? oh. <laughs> Because <laughs> Look look at how we're brought up As we're children Okay Look at how we're brought up as we're children um, So often there are no nice things said, no nice things done, um, and, you know, you just don't get it, okay? You don't get it. that um, You just think it's normal to offense. unless you see a lot of other kids who come from really normal homes and you have something to judge it by. That was not my case. So when my first husband um, was sarcastic and things like that, I didn't see it. So what do we do? We we end up, you know, our, our, we're not thinking with our brain; we're thinking with our heart, hmm? and we end up getting married, and uh, we don't know that we're marrying someone who is like what we came from. You just don't yeah. see it. So so often that's a problem. That's a problem. And I didn't learn much more from that uh, to second marriage. Um, uh, with my second marriage, he was fine. He was a good worker. He worked for the city. He was a part of nine eleven. Yes, he was. He died from colon cancer. Of that, I'm very, very sorry. He died in my arms. It was awful. I finally mm-hmm. brought hospice in towards the end. But um, he had a drinking problem, too. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. see, so a lot of times we don't learn. And I think to myself, there's not going to be number three. Okay, (laughs) Um, husband number one wasn't right, husband number two wasn't right, and I don't want to see if husband number three would be right. I'm better off alone, and if Bill was on the phone, he would tell you the same thing. He says, Carol belongs alone, and that's true. (laughs) It's true. Now, if I get bored, oh, yes, then I'll go out, if I get bored. (laughs) <laughs> okay, and then I can come home to my own surroundings, I can sing all I want, I can sing around the house as I can, I can do this, no one's going to tell me what to do anymore, what, what I can't do anymore, where I can go and all this other sort of stuff that we go through when we don't marry properly because we don't know how. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm happy that you're happy now, okay, at least um this marriage is is much better.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Thank you.
2: I think you know. Um, sometimes you know we can become
1: conditioned to to abuse. You know, we may enter in relationships where the person may be controlling financially, or the person may be verbally abusive. Um, you know, or the person may be just a cheater, or whatever have you. So sometimes. You know, we talk about some of the things that maybe we saw growing up and we start to, you know, like we've talked about this around domestic violence, how a lot of children, they witness domestic violence in the home. And that's That's a form of abuse to them. And a lot of times they, you know, they start, they're not able to differentiate safe relationships from unsafe relationships because there were conditions that, you know, That was norm, That was normal, even though it's not
2: normal,
1: you know. And so that conditioning,
2: yes, is environmental conditioning. We both learned that in school, all right? (laughs) You and I both, all right? Environmental conditioning, but that's that's what happens. And and you would think, I mean, you're no dummy, and I'm no dummy, but you would think that um, that we'd be able to see. what's right and what's wrong. Uh, but mm-hmm. because we, we're we brought up in that, that environment like you're talking about, um, we can't see it. We just don't yeah. see it. So I'm not going to go for number three, honey. Oh, no.
1: I don't even think that, that they would get away with anything like that. So they would have to be a nice person to be even in your presence at this point, you know. I I don't I think they have anybody like that around you. So it would be a nice person. He'd probably take you out. You have a good dinner, have a good time, and you know, and then come home, put your feet up, relax, you know, and and enjoy just enjoy the friendship and wherever it goes, it goes. Just enjoy the mm-hmm. friendship. I think it's, I'd rather just be around good, uh, positive people. Um, you know, and so when it comes to let's say um i'm not single right now but if i was single uh when i was single my focus was like i went to a state that i was just okay with with being single i was okay with being single i wasn't like in a desperate place where i felt like oh my god i need a man no i felt like oh i went through a lot i'm okay i'm enjoying my peace i control who comes in my house who doesn't come in my house i don't have mm-hmm. to allow you know, disrespectful people don't, don't respect me in my house I control my space Then when you meet someone else You have to do a lot of um, Bargaining and a lot of You know, bending backwards and, and things that you wouldn't Have to deal with when you're single Now you have to kind of accommodate And try to Okay, you got to give in this place and give. So I was not in a rush for a relationship I enjoyed my peace
2: and my quiet, especially if you've right. had
1: turmoil.
2: <laughs> That's right. And, and let me tell you something. Um, look, I, guys realize that I'm, I'm single or widowed. I'm, I'm widowed is what I am mm-hmm. uh, two times over. And I didn't kill them. No, I didn't. I promise I didn't. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, uh, you know, I get guys hitting on me um, on line. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And women have to realize that, you know, let me tell you something. My, I have a friend who had um, a friend who was getting involved with this man online. And we both spoke to her and said, you don't know this guy. You don't know him. Well, she wouldn't listen, okay? Now, nothing bad happened to her, but he, he took her for money. He ended up taking her for money. Um, He said, oh, I broke my back, and he he didn't live right around the corner. And he was in the hospital, okay, supposedly. And she did call, and he was in the hospital, and he did hurt himself. But he, he took all kinds of money from her. I mean, it didn't stop. He didn't have any money of his own, you know what I'm saying? I guess he didn't have very good insurance or something. I don't know. So he gets out of the hospital, and then he doesn't want anything to do with her, (laughs) you know, after she was being so good. And she thought she had a good relationship. You have to understand, we don't know these people online. We don't know them.
0: And a lot of
2: times they can have somebody else's picture, you know, they found that out. The FBI is, is very much involved with this right now. They're doing a good job They're trying really hard And missing and exploited children Are also involved with this Because there's so many kids Like I was talking about I guess it was last night Whatever, I don't remember um, How many kids are disappearing um, Yes, because of the border issue But also, they were always disappearing Okay So they've joined forces And they, they work together And they're trying to make it better You know, and trying to teach people you know, to tell their children not to uh, do stupid things online, stay out of certain chat rooms and stuff because kids are disappearing. Uh, The number, the stats on that are in my other room, and I'm not going to get up, okay? (laughs) So, um, but there is a, a problem with this. It's getting, it's growing. So we have women who are committing suicide. We have more men than women, okay, that are committing suicide, um I'd have to do research on that as to why, but I think they feel you know they're supposed to be the the main person in the family, the father, the husband right and there's not there isn't anything they can do you know about what's going on today and then with all the um the inflation and and all the other stuff and this stupid stuff about electric cars, forgive me um <laughs> I've heard terrible stories. People, you know, they go out and they misjudge about how much electricity they have in their gas tank and only in their electric tank, and they get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's too silly for me. What works, leave it alone, okay? We're all used to going into the gas station. Leave it alone. It works. So, you know, there's just so many things that... Um, Men have to think about more and do think about more than women um, as far as making sure the family is doing okay, the kids are okay. Um, Too many kids are in terrible fights because um, of all the stress and and all the anger inside the family unit. And um, the ER rooms are full of toddlers coming into the ER. Um, They seem to take it out on the toddlers, okay, I know they can be annoying at times, maybe have tantrums, but you don't almost beat them to death. You don't do this, okay? You get help. So they end up in the ER room. So our country is in all kinds of turmoil. So people are not going to be happy, whether at work or whether at home. There's not enough play. You know, there's too much stress. So... I keep telling people when they call me two, three, four o'clock in the morning, um, I won't take calls after 5.30. I have to get some sleep. I, I take a shower every night before I hit the sack. Because quite frankly, if you saw your, when I worked at Greystone, I did lab and all kinds of stuff. Um, I saw hmm. my skin under a microscope. Honey, hmm. you go put your hand under a microscope. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I have to, to have that shower before I hit the sack. I have to. Because our skin, mm-hmm. under the microscope, it looks like little bugs crawling and all kinds of weird stuff. And um, I have bugophobia anyway, I'll admit that. But <laughs> when, if you see your skin under a microscope, you won't like it. So, yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I take a shower every single night. And um, and then I do hope the phone doesn't ring after that time because I have to get some sleep. I actually right. became vitamin D deficient. Yeah. Wow. And I'm taking 50,000 units right now of vitamin D only once a week. Every mm-hmm. Friday I take one until um, my my level gets better. So what does that do to me? Uh, I feel tired a lot of times if you're not taking care of your body right. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. I don't mind working shift work because I used to do it in the hospitals and stuff. I'm used to it, but it's not good for you. You
0: mm-hmm. don't get
2: enough sun, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You don't you get don't get enough daylight. So I actually became vitamin D deficient. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I struggle with that,
1: and that affects my mood actually um having a low vitamin D can really have an effect on your mood and give you the blues,
2: yeah, they yes. can because yeah. you don't feel well and and you feel tired, and you know once I go to sleep, okay, once I go to sleep, I sleep for hours. But the system is is just not right, okay? i got to change phones because I was on this phone so long today. Hold on. Wait a minute. let see if this one's all right. Yeah, say something.
1: Mm-hmm. You hear?
2: Yeah, that's better. Yeah, <laughs> that phone is dying. And you're meowing. Oh. Yes, you are. I heard the you- Um <laughs> Yeah, I know. (laughs) I I, I did something very stupid. I taught my cat to scream, not just go meow, but to go meow, like that. And people think I'm pulling a tail or something. (laughs) So that wasn't smart, was it, Fluffy? So anyway, I love my cat. See, I'm happy by myself and my cat. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
2: I I don't need um, anyone living with me. At least not at this mm-hmm. point. I don't. I don't want that. I don't want to be joined at the hip anymore. I think that when we go through so much abuse as a child, and then it continues on, maybe not quite the same, but still abuse because the marriages were abusive, right? Um, mm-hmm. You get so you get so tired and, and so turned off, you know, so that when you come home, you're happy, like you said, to be home. Mm-hmm. And 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 you can just do your thing, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think yeah, peace is for me. Peace is 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 very valuable. I value peace. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. Like I said, you know, when I um when I was single, I was in a place of peace. I was just working on myself, and um and I was spending time with my kids. I had a had a good time, you know, I, and and compared to when I was going through before my divorce, like when things started uh, really kind of going to the left, to the south, and you know, crashing. Um, I would prefer to be alone and in peace than to be in chaos in my
2: home. That's right. That's right. And well, that's then, why then I, you know. Oh, Again, yeah, so that's why. I <laughs> Yeah. Well, you see that again. People get so so depressed when they're in a marriage that's bad, and yep. because we don't know how to choose properly. At least I'm ah. I'm worse than you because you, at least number two was fine with you, all right? And er uh, <laughs> is fine with you. So um, I never found that, and ah. I don't want to make another mistake. Right. And I, I, you know, I just simply don't. And um, so, for me, like you said, and I'll go along with that. But
0: you both?
2: Like, if, yeah, I don't think it would. Well, I don't think
0: know, they would have um, access
1: to to that. I don't think they would have access to where you are today. You mm-hmm. know, even if you call him your your guy, your your man friend, or something like that, you enjoy each other's company, and you have just a good time together. You know, travel. Or hang out for dinner or movie. I don't think that you would have somebody in your space who's being abusive. I don't think they would even get in your space. I don't think that. Well, maybe not. You are, I,
2: I don't think so.
1: No, I know who would
2: happen. Well, but, I'd have to beat him up if he did. Right. <laughs> Put him in his nose. <laughs> there you go. He We don't condone violence.
1: <laughs> we don't condone violence, y'all.
2: No, but, I know
1: yeah, that yeah, enjoy, enjoy it If you meet a nice friend, hang out and enjoy it, please You know, life's too short Have fun and enjoy it Whether it's a, a nice girlfriend or a nice guy friend Enjoy the process, you know Enjoy the journey mm-hmm. and, Yeah, enjoy the season <laughs> You
2: deserve it well, point. I'm not going to go to a bar, okay this I was thinking about this yesterday <laughs> I'm not going to go and sit at a bar and be like one of those bar flies, as they used to call them. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I'm not going to do that. No. Um, And then I think to myself, the people around here are very strange, and they think I'm very strange, and that's okay. Um, I'm I'm a city person, and they're a country person, and the two don't mix. Um, The only thing they mix is their... Is their water, they make their they make their own stuff They make their own hooch, okay <laughs> That's what they do okay. I'm not like that, honey And I don't even want to drink it I haven't had a drink in years And I'm not going to ruin that, no I'm not So uh, no. I, we just have different ideas, okay And yeah. so my daughter does work in a church I mean she's, um, I'm Catholic yet But she went, and, and I said this last night She became Protestant, which is fine I don't care, okay, okay. She has something, right? And um, so they have these church uh, dinners. It's mostly for the homeless, but they have people, regular people that come in there, too. And I thought, well, maybe I could be a little bit of service in there, too, and maybe, just maybe, I'll meet Mr. Wonderful. You just don't know. You don't know. Mm -hmm. That's right.
1: Yeah, and you know what, the power of positive thinking and, you know, and calling it into existence, like, you deserve it. And so if you're calling for good friendships and good energy, you're going to meet good people, you know. Now, you have to, like you said, you have to be careful about, like, somebody falling in love, stalking you on, on social media or something like that. <laughs> you know, you, you do have to vet people out and make sure that they're not weirdos But if you're like Walking in that spirit of That positivity you're, You know, you're being a nice person You're asking, you know, for that To come back to you You're going to meet good people along the way It's just the law I think
2: so <laughs> And look Years ago I was part of, you know, a prayer group those are the people that straightened me out, okay, because I was all messed up. you go through the life that we've had, all of us, many of us, all right, and then yep. two bad marriages, you're not going to be all together in your head. You're <laughs> just not. I don't care who yep. you are. And um, so these people, yeah. So because this was such a, a huge prayer group, um, there was over 200 people there, all right? That's a big prayer group. That was St. James in uh, Red Bank, New Jersey. If you're listening, Red Bank, hello, hello. Monsignor and Father Bill um, told me, Carol, take your children and run. <laughs> that's what he told mm. me. Now, that's exactly what I did. Now, that was the father of my children, our children. But that's how bad he was, all right, for the church to say yeah. that. And I said, hey, what happens if I'm, I'm still youngish? What happens if uh, I'm, I meet some guy and here I am married and I'm not supposed to get divorced? You know how Catholicism is, right? You know, they have these rules. Monsignor uh-huh. senior actually said to me, Carol, and this goes for everyone, God didn't put us on this earth so that we're going to be unhappy. He said, if you can find happiness... You you go with it I said you mean I can get married again I have to get divorced He said do what you have to do Because you deserve to live too This is Monsignor Okay well, Boy was I shocked He spoke to me like that So that's exactly what I did But I chose the wrong guy <laughs> Okay And who wasn't nearly as bad As number one Okay so We did have things in common, commonality. We loved Broadway. He's born and raised in in New York, and I I was born in New York, and we loved Broadway. So I saw over 50 Broadway shows. Um, We used to go castle hunting. Uh, It was a lot of fun. I was always hoping I'd see a ghost, okay? (laughs) You know, things like this. And um, we just had things in common. And we love to take rides and, and go different places. Um, but in between those times, he was a nut because he drank too much. See, that's what happened. Then he got cancer. He worked hard in the city. He worked very hard he was a good worker. Had to give the devil his doom. But, um, mm. yeah. Yeah, he died in my arms. Wow. And I'm going to tell you. Um,
1: um, I'm gonna, from
2: what what did he die from was it from drinking I didn't hear you is this phone going too Oh, oh no go ahead no you said what did
1: he, uh, he, may I ask may I ask where he died from was he was was it from the drinking or was it something else yeah.
2: No he listen they made such a horrible mistake in the city because I love the city and he was born and raised there and, and I consider myself more of a city person. But when it came to 9-11, okay, with all that smoke and stuff, um, what the heck was her name? Governor Christie, right? No, not Governor Christie. What was her name, the, the one in New York? I can't think of her name right now. It sounded like Christie, though. I can't think of her yeah. name. She was um, the one that decided whether the air was clean or not, okay? Now, Marty didn't leave the city until 2005, and this happened until you know it happened in 2001 okay 911 uh, 11 September 11 2001 so he worked there for almost for almost 5 years afterwards he had many years or many many exposures to um the dirty air mm-hmm. and a lot of times he was in a um a cherry picker and um we go around to the projects But he worked in the projects and there were um, lights many times that were broken because, you know, the drug lords, they'd come there and they'd hang out, and they didn't want to be seen because they're selling their drugs. So they'd smash the lights. They'd do this. They did that. So then it was a part of, um, you know, the city to, you know, they had to replace those lights. So my husband many times was in that, um, in, in those uh, cherry picker type of trucks with someone else, and uh, they would work on those lights and, and replace them. He called them lamps. Okay, that's what they call them in the city. They call them lamps. And um, and then he was working many times, you know, in apartments and, and burnouts, you know, like when there was fires and stuff like that. He he was there. Okay, he was there. And um, they claim that, that people, even today, Um, are still getting sick from it, or at least what they had gotten. Maybe they walked around for years with it, not knowing that they were sick, and now it's still coming out. This is 2024 almost. Uh, It's hard to believe or to understand, all right? But um, that's what they're saying. And um, certainly when Marty was diagnosed in 2014, um, he lived longer than the doctors expected him to because he, would, he wouldn't take chemo. Mm. He wouldn't do it. So um, he lived a couple years. You know, they thought he'd be only alive a year. He lived a little over two years, longer than what they expected. But, yeah, it was from breathing the air, and that was never a question. Wow. So, wow. This is what our world wow. is like, and, and you know, and they're still talking about nine eleven today. Even look on your phone; it's all over the place. It's online, you know, about uh, you know what happened on nine eleven. So, um, and people are still getting mm-hmm. sick, as they say, laid dormant different types of cancer, laid dormant, mm-hmm. and um, then all of a sudden, people are popping out with it. So you see, we're living in such a world where there's so much stress, and mm-hmm. and the kids, of course, they feel the brunt of it. The brunt of it, I should say, the brunt of it, because yeah. in the home lives, you know, there's so much trouble going on in the home, and and children aren't being cared for properly, um, or maybe they're they're watching too much violence, like I did, mm-hmm. mopping of blood off of my mother's face at four. Give me a break. Um, Kids do these things You know And so when you're brought up In a volatile environmental Conditioning type of atmosphere And environment Many times Kids can become volatile And that's where The bullies come from I've done so much studies on on human behavior And all this uh, behavior management and, And everything else How to manage these kids Because I worked in detention too And they committed adult crimes, and they had cells, right? So, um, but you see, that's where a lot of that comes from. That's why, you know, they're talking a lot more today about looking into the home life. Instead of just looking at the kid out on the street, all right, yeah, you can look at the kid, and you have to hopefully stop them from whatever it is they're doing, right? Um, You have to go further. You have to dig deeper, Yes, the kid has to be contained. And if that's in detention, fine. Um, If they age out, then they go into jail. Or if they turn 18, we had some that did that. And, um, you know, that's what happens. But it's environmental conditioning so often that causes the problem. And it affects every part of our life, even to finding partners that are right.
1: Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That was good. That's true. And it definitely yeah. does. It does affect us. Um you know, sometimes you can you know, if if you're still dealing with that people pleasing, you may know that that something's not right about the relationship, but not being able to stand up for yourself. Um, I don't know, Philip, you're still on there? We talked a little bit yeah. about that earlier. Yes.
2: Yeah, no, he's he's here. Mhm.
1: <laughs> yeah not not being able to stand up for the, for the little you you know for your little self back then mm-hmm. and still struggling with that as an adult that's right well so you and ent- yeah so when you enter in those abusive relationships automatically you know you 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 know it's not a healthy relationship, but um you have a hard time- speak, uh, speaking up for yourself and standing up for yourself showing up. For the for the little you as you might say.
2: Yeah. Well, for the big the child within. The child within and then who always speaks, all right, the child within. That's um that's a, a definite uh problem with a lot of people. They're still screaming and that's why they're stuck. Okay. The child okay. within. The one that was wounded. And then um right. you go to the next step but next phase and you look at your, your childhood. And you look at it, um, you're able to look at it finally and without crumbling and all this other stuff, and, and you realize it wasn't your fault. You were a victim. No. Nope.
1: And we That's talked about we were. that early. Remember? Oh, did you? Okay, but, yeah. Yeah, because people try to make shame the victim, or you know, you feel like it was your fault, like you deserved the Like, there's so many different emotions that the victim goes through. It's just not fair. I thought it was very difficult
2: I had a good CPS worker I know this shocks people <laughs> But I did have a good CPS worker When I was living in New York When I was in Staten Island Because I'd gotten kidnapped and raped And I was one of 14 And he got caught um, A teenage boy Okay Look, I had the description of the car I had a description of him Perfect Down pat uh, And I'd already been abused before this happened, so I wasn't quite as scared. I know this sounds stupid, as maybe some of the little girls um, who hadn't been, you know, molested and then raped before, okay? And um, I kind of knew what I was in for. He, He pulled me right into his vehicle, and away we went, and I go, oh, boy, oh, boy, here we go. And I was reading my mother's uh, magazines, detective magazines. That's what they were called. I wasn't supposed to, but I did. <laughs> and I said, I'm like that little girl or those little kids or those people who go for a ride, and then it, it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. And it did. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what happened was what happened was that um, the police had come in right into the classroom, all right, and, and take me out to go and look at, at mug shots, and I was so embarrassed. I hated it. So I told my mother, I'm not going to the police department anymore. Have them come to the house, and that's what they did then. And I looked at them at home instead of in the police department. So uh, that's why CACs are so, so important, you know, where they have those um, – you know, the places where kids can go and no one walks around in uniform with guns on and all this other stuff. And they take their, you know, what happened. They ask them all kinds of questions. Then many times it can be used in court. And sometimes the kids don't have to even go to court. And that's good because I know what the inside of the courtroom looks like. And so those other 13 girls. So it was out. In those days, they didn't hide people's names. My name was in the paper. Uh, Kidnapped and raped uh, And uh, all the others too, unfortunately From wherever they came This guy would go around school, see And and he would pick out his prey that way And he picked me out from PS26 in Travis, Staten Island Okay So I was one of his victims And uh, so it was all in the newspapers So this teenage boy is walking down the street And he hears a little girl, or hears a scream. He doesn't know what a girl but he hears a scream. And he turns and he looks. He turns around and looks. And here's this little girl being pulled into this nuts car, the same one that had me. Okay? And Mm -hmm. she was the one right after me. She would have been number 15. She would have been number 15. And so he screamed and And the guy took off you know he's bellowing at this guy, and he took off, and um he helped the little girl to her feet, and he was able though quickly to glance and get that the license plate number. I didn't have that, and I didn't think to get that. I was eight years old, okay, okay. so um he got caught. And you see, this is why people are so mad at the system. And believe me, we were all mad at this system in in New York and in Staten Island. We had to go into the courtroom when this guy got sentenced, okay? We had to go in there. They thought it would be therapeutic for us to see him get sentenced. Well, the judge only gave him three years. That's it. Fourteen, almost 15 little girls... Three years I'm standing there In the courtroom And I'm thinking I'm eight years old By the time he gets out I'll be eleven And he knows Where I live That's what went through And that's when My panic started By the time I was nine And then I find out He got out In a year and a half Because his wife Petitioned the court And said that You know She couldn't take care Of the children They had three she couldn't, you know, feed them right, clothe them properly. You know, and he got out in a year and a half, so he didn't even do the three years. And I was always what? looking over my shoulder. Yeah. I'm sure all of us were looking over our shoulder. I didn't know the other girls. They didn't know me. It's just we all went to court together. So you see, when we have a broken system on top of everything else, where they don't go after the right people, like today even, or in and or with children, where they're picked up and raped and, and kidnapped and raped and all this other stuff, and luckily they're brought back, but they have, they need help. I never got help, not in my family, honey. Oh no. So you see, if kids don't get the help that they need, then they grow up with all different kinds of problems. And mine was panic disorder. And that's more than a panic attack. It's when it controls your life. You don't want to go into stores or you don't want to go into wide open spaces or you don't want to stand up in front of your peers in school because I felt dirty. Okay, I felt dirty. And we had a guest on the other night, Edna Saylor, and she was talking about that she went through the same thing. When she took her shower, just like I did for some years, I don't do it anymore, I would scrub too hard until I'd almost bleed because I felt dirty, okay? So these are the things we go through. And and this is why at my little age, (laughs) okay, I, I will continue to talk about it. I'm 76 and I'm still talking about it because I'm trying my best to help educate people so that they'll become more observant All right? You see something, you say something, and you do something. Mm. Even if it's only calling the cops, all right? Do something. Many police departments now have um, a psychiatrist or a psychologist that they can call when they take shifts for for doing this, okay, shift work. Uh, In cases like this where children, okay, are, are being abused, and they have to go to the house, okay? The cops don't know what they're, they're going to face in domestic violence. They don't know what's going on. Maybe they've got guns too, all right? And with children, they're being taught better now how to see child abuse, looking for bruising, okay, and all this other stuff. My parents made me, my mother and stepfather, made me feel like what happened to me in New York was my fault, Wow. They said I shouldn't have gone down to the end of the driveway. I was looking for my so-called father to take me to Coney Island because I loved Coney Island, and and my my stupid brother did too. He was another one of my abusers. That's why I call him stupid brother. Yeah. So I got to tell. I got pulled into the vehicle. Okay. So mm-hmm. um, it's not fool. Why weren't they watching me? I was barely a. In between seven and a half and eight years old, I I think I turned eight when I went to court. I was six for a while, so I was eight years old. Sal, we'll just say eight years old. Uh, You still watch eight years old, especially when they're all happy and they're going to go and they're going to go to Coney Island and and have a a good time, okay? So the CPS worker got involved with it, and my so-called father was not nice either when I when that monster dropped me off at the other end of the driveway uh, and he knew I could get home he wasn't a murderer he was a serial rapist they're doing studies on that they're finding out that they easily can turn into murderers too but we didn't any of us get murdered obviously we got you know he's a serial rapist so okay I'm there I'm walking down the driveway. A mess, a mess. You're a girl. I don't have to tell you what I was what was happening, okay? And, um, <sighs> their cops are all over the place. And my stupid so-called father—he uh, was not my biological father. I didn't know it then. But anyway, he said, "What'd you do? Lure that man? What? I didn't even know what lure meant." Hmm. They took handcuffs off of him, off this one police officer, took his handcuffs off, took my stupid father, I'll call him stupid too, and put it on his wrist. And, and actually, it was a, a summery day. It was, a summer was over, school had started, but it was still warm out. So he had his windows down in his car. So he took his hands and handcuffed him to his own steering wheel. He said, in all hmm. the years that I've been a police officer, I have never seen anything like this. How dare you? that's how CPS became involved. Wow. So she said to me, this lady only came twice to the house, she said, well, you don't have enough clothes, and that was always a problem with me. Read my book, you'll see why. And um, why it became a problem. But anyway, the point is, you need another pair of shoes. You could use some more skirts. You need a sweater. You need this. You need that. Then she went and looked in my brother's closet. Oh, honey. It was like pack. Okay. So the CPS worker came in to me in my bedroom, and she said, I just want to tell you something. None of this was ever your fault. She made me feel so good. She made me feel, I could feel my body relax, because for those months, for months before she was, like I said, she came twice, so it was within a couple of months. She came the second time about a month and a half later after it happened. Anyway, she said to me, listen, now I see, and it was never, ever your fault, and don't you ever think that it was your fault.
0: Yep. Yeah, you see, you you go,
1: know, Sorry, it's 9.30, no, not, but I was I, just going to that go that was a perfect way to remind, that was so important to remind the survivors that it was not your fault. And, you know, Philip, we talked about that earlier a lot of times. You know, we have that guilt. We feel like it's our fault. We did something wrong. You know, it could be from people shaming the victims, like, you know, we were talking about earlier. And mm-hmm. it's not your fault. And I hope that that helps somebody tonight. um It's nine thirty, so we're gonna get ready to say good night to everyone i hope um well, we had a wonderful show. Thank you for joining us and everybody have a good night. Good
2: night. okay Good night now Good night.